The following commentary does not necessarily reflect the views of the staff and management of WBCA or Boston Neighborhood Network. If you would like to express another opinion, you can address your comments to Boston Neighborhood Network, 3025 Washington Street, Boston, Massachusetts, 02119. To arrange a time for your own commentary, you can call WBCA at 617-708-3241 or you can email radio at bnntv.org. I have a problem every year around MLK Day because Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. for some reason has been treated as America's civil rights mascot. On this day, you'll have folks who would have never in their life marched with, agreed with, voted with anything he believed in. One of the biggest bigots in the United States Congress, he had the audacity to send out a Dr. King quote. The march has begun every day. We rise like the sun. We fight till the battle is won. Can you hear the footsteps? Listen, because we're coming. And that is my boy, Aaron T. Oline. That's his music. That's his song. And we're live here in um, Studio A, Comcast 23, Cable Vision, live on another level. I'm your host, Sharon Hinton. I have an amazing young lady here. You know, for those of us who are black 365 days a year, we got a piece coming up on reparations. If you're in Boston, there has been a um, discussion happening for a while. There's also a piece of legislation that has been um, put forward by at-large city council person, um, Julia Mejia, who is actually Dominican, Afro-Latina and Dominican. And so there's a discussion that's been nationwide for a long time, a long, long time. And it's happening in Boston now, so I want you to know about it. Um, think about it, um, especially whether you're African-American or not because this is a discussion that needs to happen with descendants of slaves, enslaved people, excuse me, descendants of enslaved people, African-Americans in this country. It's happening now, it will affect you, whether it goes down or not, it's going down. And it's going down here, I'm Sharon Hinton. I got an amazing young lady, Queen Judy. That Judy is her last name, J-E-U-D-Y, Haitian, Sakbase, Naboule. Here's what I want to do. Um, <laughs> I'm going to introduce my guest for a moment. Nayel. Yes. Nayel. Yes. Not, not, not Nayele. No. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really in a good mood tonight, but I'm in the most good moods, especially when I'm alive and kicking. And some people that went to sleep last night are not. Um, and let's hope that other people that are alive right now make it through tomorrow, because there's some serious stuff going on in the community. There's a show that's going to be coming up where we're talking about public safety and community safety and policing in the community, in the black community. When I say the black community or the community, Boston community, I'm talking about Hyde Park, Roxbury, Dorchester, Mattapan, Jamaica Plain, Roslindale, Cambridge, South End, Back Bay. Oh, there's a high crime rate in the South End, but they don't want to tell you that because they don't want the property rates to go down. So we're going to be talking about all those places in Boston that are being impacted right before the summertime, because the assumption is that crime goes up in the summertime. Maybe it will, maybe it won't. The pastors and the preachers are coming together to say that. And tonight we're talking about health and wellness. And the reason why I brought up about crime and reparations 
and my amazing uh, guest, Nayel Judy, that's what she does. She's a health and wellness consultant, practitioner. She's got a few things here, little, little toys and gizmos. She tempted me with the um, sound bowl, but she can't really do it because you have to have a special... Um, mallet. What do you call it, a mallet? A mallet, yeah. A mallet. I was going to say a pestle because it almost looks like a mortar and pestle because it's yep. brass. Yep. And so if you can do that, when you can do that, actually you can go and Google it and you can hear like sound bells and what it does and it's the decibels and the whole frequencies and the whole thing. But we're gonna talk about health and wellness and she is a woman of, should I say black lady, a woman of color? A black is beautiful, black is beautiful. Come on now, see yeah. I told you, she was, she, she, that's what I'm talking about. <laughs> yep. And that's another whole show with that BIPOC, black indigenous people of color that we ain't getting there, we're not going there tonight. But you see me wearing my shirt, you know, black girls rock. Yes. Because we do, and it's all sparkly, because you know. We are magic. And you have your sparkly stuff, too. I know. We, she, she got the memo, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> um, tell me about, because I read, I read your bio and Nicole Maxey, yes. your PR person, did an amazing job sending me your information. And I'm surprised that I really hadn't known more about you before. Yeah. Um, Maybe it's because you were like had disappeared because you had this beautiful baby that you brought into the studio. Yes. But that's only a year mm -hmm. and some change. Um, you've been around for a little bit and you've been doing this for a while. Why did you get into this? To, you, to everything you spoke to, the public health issue we have, I was actually a violence interrupter for the last administration, and I worked very closely with now the public safety. Which last? Because there were two quick ones. Um, Mayor Wa Marty Walsh. Okay, thank yes. you. Yeah, I know. Thank you for reminding me that we did have our beautiful black um, female mayor at one point. For a minute. For a second, right? For a hot second. So um, I was a violence interrupter for Marty Walsh's um, office, but I'm an 80s baby, um, uh -oh. and... I have had way too many friends affected by the violence and um, the peril that is hidden. It is a subculture in the city. So after uh, too much loss and too much of my own trauma, I started to focus primarily on, on stress reduction tools, on wellness from a diet all the way to the mind-body-spirit experience. And uh, the reason why I believe a lot of people don't know is because my head is really down, right? Mm -hmm. Like, I'm, I'm not very self-promotative, which is why it's amazing that I'm working with Nicole Maxey and the IPA Network, because they're helping me um, in that area. Mm -hmm. But I have been primarily focused on youth, mothers, um, in disenfranchised parts of the city. Uh, I consult for a lot of public schools, and it's just me right now. So a big part of scaling the business is... Wait, 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 wait. Not to interrupt you, yep. but I am interrupting you. You no said problem. it's not just you and the public schools, or is it? Well, I am my own, like, as I work specifically with this craft, it is only me. There are not many people who are approaching, who are demanding that our young people get the dignified experience of learning about wellness early um, and recognizing that it is a, it is a, equity issue to be clear mm -hmm. right that if mm -hmm. our families if our moms and dads are not healthy then our children will not show up healthy so my work is primarily with youth and community centers and schools uh where there's not the cameras are not in the hallways that i'm at and the the news is not praising a young black woman of color um who's fighting for i get kicked out of a lot of places to be clear i'm a oh. little activist oh. <laughs> so my kind of girl oh. <laughs> i'm not gonna hold lie up, hold up hold up hold up 
See, I'm trying to get this video up, so please no forgive problem. me. No problem, no problem. So yeah, I, I am working steadily to partner with more practitioners who will be able to come in and and, and join me in this cause of spreading the word about the importance of wellness and what it looks like to have wellness practices in the black community specifically, because I think it looks different and there's an access issue. So there is an access issue and yeah. there's also um, an equity issue. Yes. And when we're talking about trauma, and here's some of the stuff that I heard about trauma. Trauma um, come, goes down through your blood. Yes. Like it actually can affect you generationally. Absolutely. And I also heard that trauma and um, changes your DNA. It does, it does. We in the community, we talk about generational curses a lot and we talk about um, the need to break generational cycles and that's really what we're speaking to is um, they say that a, a woman is affected by her grandmother's trauma. So that your grandmother, whatever she went through, impacted mom and then mom. And great grandma. And great grandmom, so it, that's the lineage. So. It's really important to know our history and understand where we're coming from and understand what lives within our DNA pools because there's no way to reverse it. Like in my family, we have a lot of onset dementia and Alzheimer's that is showing up. And that is very stress related. That is very much about the black woman taking on everything. So, so let's do a couple of things. Yeah. One, I want to check in with my crew. Can we play that? Um, little short little 30 second thing for BNN because I want to make sure we got the right clip. And then we're going to come back after this six minute piece. Um, but I want our, our guests, as we're looking at this piece on reparations, right? I want our listeners and viewers think about, so when you talk about trauma, there's the person that is the object or the victim of the trauma, but then also the perpetrator. And Absolutely. people don't think and realize that that happens um, on both sides. They think, oh, well, you know, especially young people, it's like, I ain't going out like that, you know, I'm cool. But then um, something else may come up. And, and thinking about, you know, mass and cast and all this drug-related stuff and how people are self-medicating, basically. Yep. Um, and so, you, you know, so I'm going to say it, you know, because y'all get mad at me anyway, so I'm going to say it. A lot of white people don't realize that they have been traumatized from their ancestors. Absolutely. I mean, you can't, don't think that, because your great-granddaddy, great-great-granddaddy was raping and lynching and stuff, and you're not doing that, that it didn't affect you. Oh, it absolutely does. So I want people to think about that on both sides of it. And so there has to be healing in the community. And even though we're focused on um, the black community tonight, it still is not just a black subject. It's a human. It's a United States Western world challenge that we are facing. It's, we're all innately very depressed and sick when it comes down to how we've treated each other over the past 400 years plus. It's longer Whoa, wait, than Wait, 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 hold up now. We gotta, how we've treated each other? Oh, when I say that, I'm talking about from mankind, from the white man to the, to the black okay. community. Okay, you know. I, and then it bleeds into how we treat each other That's in true. the black community That's as true. well too, when That's I say true. that, okay. clearly, because, you know, the equity bleeds in and then we you. treat each other poorly. I just so. wanna be clear. Oh, no, no, you, no, you know, like, here. Yeah, we're you, gonna, know, <laughs> you and I got to be here, right? We have to clarify. <laughs> And as we're doing that, we're going to take a short break and then come back with this piece on reparations and Dr. Claude Anderson, yeah. my crew. Are you interested in learning to create television and web programming? Boston Neighborhood Network has what you need in our hybrid studio production class. Learn how to build a production in eight sessions. For more information, please head over to bnnmedia.org backslash services backslash workshops. 
Interested in becoming a radio DJ? Boston Neighborhood Network's 102.9 FM is offering a course of radio production that can get you started. For more information, please head over to bnnmedia.org backslash services backslash workshops. Very firmly fixed in your mind. You're not here for a parlor discussion. It's not something to talk about that's nice. If you don't get reparations, black folk, you're through in this country. Maybe that very specific for you. You see, what's happening to black Americans is that black Americans have been systematically, socially engineered into the lowest level of a real-life monopoly game. You do not own and control a sufficient amount of anything to be competitive in America. And you get, you've been marginalized now for 400 years. You're getting ready to be buried. You can get buried under at least a whole broad groups of ambiguous groupings. That's everything from culture groups, language groups, and gender groups. You're going down. You, it's no longer an issue. You better get reparations and get it fast. Now, to get reparations, one of the things I've been trying to do now for 30 years, uh, beginning with, with the state of Florida when Governor Rubin asked you to put me over education when they had no blacks, blacks in politics in Florida, was to write the first affirmative action plan in the United States, and that was written to be reparations for black folk in 1971. And George Bush Jr., I guess, uh, what's his name, Jed Bush just killed it off about six months ago. But, but what's happening now is that what I'm trying to do is to create a Harvest Institute that would try to take all my colleagues here and as much as possible try to give you new points of information that take you outside the box. Part of the problem we got in trying to deal with reparations, a lot of the other racial issues in the country, is that we keep trying to think and find solutions inside the box. There are no solutions inside the box for black folk. You got to get outside and try to find and get a long-term perspective and a long view on it. And that's what the Harvest Institute is in existence for, and that's what they're going to say in existence for. Now, the reason you cannot win, as I said, is that you've been locked into this low level of a real-life monopoly game. You do not own and control enough for wealth. See, in 1860, for instance, black folk, as a direct result of slavery, had an ownership. When you were 98% slaves, you had an ownership of one-half of 1% 1 of this nation's wealth in 1860 on the eve of the Civil War. Now, this is the richest country in the world, the most capitalistic country in the world. And here you are 140 years after slavery when you're supposedly 100% free and you still only have one-half of 1% 1 of this nation's wealth. You cannot compete. The typical average white person in America has 3,500 times more money than you have. And that's not true only of blacks in America. It's true of the world internationally. What's happening right now is blacks is a marginalized, subordinated class of people all over the earth. You have one half of 1% of the wealth in this nation. The same thing is true all over the world. In the world, there's approximately $392 trillion worth of wealth on the earth. And black folk on, around the world have less than 1% ownership of it. That includes all the African countries. That includes Brazil, Caribbean, and America. You don't own enough control of anything. Whites control almost 100% of all the wealth, power, resources, privileges, and controls of all levels of government. You're playing a game you can't win. You've got to get reparations. Now, how are you going to get it? Let me give you a run through of three or four things very quickly because I don't want to take up the time here. First thing you must do, I've heard it mentioned already, we've got to, com got to commit a national campaign all over this country to start a publicizing the issue of reparations for black folk. Not as something nice, but as a necessity, period. That means every living soul, every organization, every core, every institution in this country must begin to start, start to pro, uh, promoting reparations for black folk all over this country. That's level one. It's a massive, massive promotion of reparations for black folk. Second level, level two. What we must do at second level two now is to start having facts-finding hearings. You must have facts-finding hearings all over this country. 
and you're going to have fact-finding hearings on, on at least two different levels. One is you're going to go after fact-finding about what roles governments have played in the reparations, I mean, in the, uh, in the slavery trade against black folk, and the enslavement of black folk, the marginalization of black folk. And that should break down into two levels. One is to investigate all levels of domestic governments, that's city, county, federal, and state governments. And the second group would go after the international. So you should have two groups of black folk in this country exploring and fact-finding on what, gov what roles government have played, one domestically and one internationally. On the left-hand side, you should be doing the same thing for the, for the domestic side. You should be going after the private sector. You should be going after all the private corporations in the United States, what roles they played and how they benefited directly from slavery. And also, on the same side, you must go after all the international corporations and the roles they played and how they benefited. Now, the Harvest Institute right now, my think tank, we've already picked up one. We put out a press release on that. We are going after domestic domestic role that major corporations played in the United States. We've already identified approximately 240 companies that are still in existence that profiteer directly and enrich themselves off of black folk. We're going after that. And what we have to do in our fact-finding is be able to factuate, document the direct line between how blacks have been, in, have been crippled all the way up to economically, politically, socially, and educationally, and tied into these major corporations or tied into levels of government. That's your level two. Level three, you must then start having a national convention in this country. And right now, I think um, Alice, uh, Dorothy Tillman in Chicago has already, we talked about this. She's going to try to call one in Chicago this coming year. We must have everybody who's playing a role, like Congressman Conyers and everybody from the Congress and COBRA, everybody should be at a national convention where we all come in there to not only energize each other, but to share information, see where we are. They're trying to set it up for this coming February, someplace in the United States, possibly Chicago. That's your third level. The fourth level you should start doing is trying to get into, trying to, uh, uh, out of this conference should come strategies and plans and a specific role model. You've got to have a role mo a model, rather, not a role, a model that every black can tie into, a model for reparations. Now, my model's a little different from everyone else's, and that's because I'm outside the box. I'm trying to pull everybody else outside if I can get them. Now, most, every, most people are going to try to follow the Jewish uh, reparations model or the Japanese model. I'm following the Indian model. The Indians are the most appropriate model if you want to track down, doing anything to get reparations of black folk. Why? Because, you see, only American Indians and black folk were spelled out in the Constitution. The Indians own reservations and black folk. There's a direct lineage between those two groups. And if you really want to track and get reparations, the easiest and quickest way is to go find out what happened to American Indians, what benefits they got, and track it. In my new book called Power Numbers, it takes you every, through every one of those steps so you can follow it. If you pick that up, you can come right to reparations very quickly because it would be very difficult for the government to deny black folk for the same thing they're giving the Indians. So when you hear, hear people talking about how bad off Indians are, first thing you say, fine, if Indians are that bad off, put us as black folk in the same status with the Indians. We'll take that. Because see, right, what Indians got, see, in, first of all, nobody declared Indians to be a nation. Indians declared themselves to be a nation. They declared themselves to be a nation. All the way up until about 1832 when, when Supreme Court Justice Marshall said, okay, I'll recognize you as a nation. We never declared ourselves to be a nation. We've always tried to do just the opposite of what the Indians did. Once they became a nation, they drew up a constitution for themselves. We never had a constitution. And what the Indians did with that constitution is then to go to the United States government and say, we want to have, we do not want to integrate. We did just the opposite. We integrated. And I can track everything right down. Or we can follow the Indian model if you want to. And you can see, and you, all that's already built into the law, and there's a direct lineage between American Indians and, and black folk that you can follow very easily and get to reparations. And the, but, but, let's, but we need to have a model. 
And in my new book, I get that model. To be on the, be on the stand in about another month, you get the, uh, the Powernomics model that take you through all those steps of what they did throughout history, from the Blair Amendments and everything else. You can track them very easily, and it'd be very difficult for the United States government to deny you reparations when you only two people that have a constitutional relationship with this government is black folk and Indians. Just like Indians use natural, what they call natural rights and lay a claim against the land, we should use natural law and lay a claim against our labor, misappropriated labor. The next level, what you must do is begin to... Uh, is move to a legal step. You need to form at the, at the fourth level, get you a legal body right now, whether it's going to be pro bono or paid. And out of our convention, we should be able to raise some funds to set up a mass legal body that be ready to start serving suits based on those facts that you're going to find at the second level. And we start to find those, then we should have people going after suits. One side suing the different levels of government, other side suing the private sector to get, to get reparation funds for black folk. Then at the last level, you need to set up, at, at, at the sixth level, you need to set up some kind of a pool, a resource, a retrieval agency that want, every time we get some benefits, we're going to a special fund that will be held for pooling and aggregating. Now, then out of that, out of that special agency, we break away into two groups, what I would recommend. One, you would have an economic development bank on the east coast and economic development bank on the west coast. And what those banks would do is take most of the money you get, not give it to black folk as individuals. You put it into a massive bank where black folk can go draw that money to start low interest, get low interest loans or free monies to build businesses and industries throughout the United States. You also, if you track the Indians, you should go for try to get yourself some tax-free, tax-exempt land. Just like Indians can go grab any piece of land and federalize and put up a casino, you tell me you ought to do the same thing as a black person, get tax-exempt statuses. We can go on and on. Well, there's a lot of things we can track. Go after the Indians. But the thing that's most important, I'm going to quit, is that you've got to understand that reparations are an absolute necessity. We're going to get buried alive. We do not have enough to be able to compete in this society. And the further we get away from, from, from the civil rights movement, the worse things are going to get. And when people start talking about slavery, don't just talk about slavery. Talk about Jim Crow slavery and benign neglect. You've got to understand what slavery was. Slavery is the illegitimate child of racism. Racism still exists. That's slavery. Because what racism does, racism keeps and maintains what was created by slavery. Now, racism is a, is a competitive economic struggle between groups of people for power and wealth. And it's slavery, I mean, and, and, and racism never existed until the 16th century. And when slavery went out of existence, racism took over. Racism has gone from being meaning slavery to being something biological. Then it moved on in by the 1800s. It turns to be something as a personal behavior or an attitude and now bias and a prejudice. Slave, I mean, racism has nothing to do with uh, attitudes, with prejudice, and with bias. Slave, uh, racism is a competitive group contest between people for race, resources, and for superiority. And racism is a never is a race without a finish line. I thank you very much. He said racism is a race without a finish line, which means we're not done yet. That piece that Dr. Claude Anderson did was in the year 2000. It's what year now? 2023. And we have a commission of 10 people that was formed to study reparations and I can't, I gotta get to my next best, the guest because, or my only guest actually, because we're talking about health and wellness. I get triggered when I see and experience certain things, right? Um, I shared with her recently that I had a, a serious medical situation that happened. And anybody who's ever gone through that it's, um, if, you, if you look at it 
right. It focuses you in terms of um, what are you going to do with the rest of your life? And so, you know, I've been trying to stay away. I'm doing a fairly good job staying away from negative people, places, and things. I'm in the public spotlight, radio, podcast, television. And so, um, but I'm very, 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 very protective of my family and my peace and my health and my wellness. And my guest is going to teach us what that really means to do that. And especially, I mean, we're two black women that are talking about that, but this applies to everyone. Like if you're talking about um, having children, and I was talking to my daughter who's much younger than me, but it's like we never had, I'm old school, we didn't have to worry about a couple of things. You had syphilis and gonorrhea. And before you got married, they made you take a test. And then a, a very powerful lobbying group, when AIDS became very prevalent, you don't have to get tested for that before you get married, but that can kill you. Yeah. Like there's penicillin and different things to get rid of syphilis and gonorrhea. Thank you for the federal government that experimented on black people and black men, you know, the syphilis experiments and everything, right? But you can get cured of that. There's commercials out now where you can take drugs so that it's, de- it's undetectable. That's what the commercial says. It's undetectable. But there's still stuff out there that can kill you that we may not even know about, and it's sexually transmitted. And so, um, and that's on the physical level. But if you're joining together with somebody and you're going to create life with somebody, then there's a spiritual level to it, there's an emotional level to it, there's a psychological level. And during this piece right here, you you and I talked about generationally how things can happen. Earlier today, um, I was looking at this black history piece that talked about um, how black women, you know, particularly were targeted during Reconstruction, but we've always been targeted for rape and, and um, sexual uh, assaults and usury, uh, lynching, right? Even now, when you look at the images that are in the media, it's targeting us, tearing us down. The same things that we were born with, we're told that is not professional, our hair, is not professional. We're the only ones that have to have legislation, the Crown Act, that says we can have our hair the way it is and not be denied employment, not being denied, you know, opportunities. Um, we're the only ones that deal with that. And so people, when they look at, you know, God bless Cardi B, but, and I've seen some of these TikTok things with women who are less than attractive, I'm just being real, put all this makeup on and false this and false eyes, I'd be scared to be a man dating somebody right now because everything about her might be in the drawer. Mm-hmm. You know, and you wake up to somebody else, it's like, who the hell are you? Yeah. <laughs> right? yep. The voice is the same, maybe, or maybe not. We've never had to ask, and I'm not trying to offend anybody when I'm saying this, but when we were growing up, we never had to ask somebody, are you now and have you always been a man? Are you now and have you always been a woman? We didn't have to ask that. I mean, we always knew there was an Uncle Peaches or something like that. And it was like, well, whatever. Or somebody singing in the choir was like, you know, well, whatever. Sing, sing y'all. But it's not, it's, it's not to that level. There's an agenda that a lot of people are afraid to speak to. And, and um, fortunately, because of the history of people of color, we already have enough attacks against our existence. It's hard to not feel unsafe in your body, which is why the yoga piece is huge for me, right? And why I spend so much time getting in tune with myself. Because this is the only body you're ever going to have. That's it. So your health is not just a, 
it's just not a coined word, it's your wealth. You know, sometimes we're chasing jobs, sometimes we're chasing people and we're not recognizing. If we're not internally well, we have nothing to offer ourselves or other people. Talk about how black women, because black women are saving the world. Mm -hmm. We always have been, right? Yep. Taking on everybody's stuff and ignoring ourselves. Talk about the toll that that takes and how you can reverse that. How can you reverse that or how can you recognize that and not lead into that? So black women are the fabric of the country. We are the backbone of the country. So we are inevitably always uh, facing heart disease. We're the highest, we have the highest rates in heart disease. We have the highest rates in cervical cancer. And I do a lot of energy work. So what I would say first and foremost is recognizing that anything that's depleting you is something that you want to reevaluate and shift. Mm. Now, sometimes it's not as easy because a lot of us are taking care of family members. I'm a caretaker right now, so I deeply understand what it feels like to feel indebted to take care of a loved one. And we have to have things in place to ensure that we're taking good care of ourselves. My primary suggestion is checking your food. Mm. Our diets are vital to our existence and our ability to function. So we remember... Dr. Sebi, that was a big conversation back in the day. And they killed him. And then, and he's gone, right? And any, what I notice, and maybe this is just my assumption, but anytime we have any strong black leaders, they're either silenced or they're persecuted or they're or both. executed or both, right? So when we think about, um, you talked about Dr. Claude Anderson and that being 23 years ago, but if we flash forward to 60 years ago, all of our leaders, we're now hearing about this big um, Malcolm X case that's coming up, a $100 million lawsuit for this against the CIA, there has been a traditional attack against the black family, and black moms specifically are the center of that, right? And in, in the mortality rate of black women, infant mortality yes. is just as high as if we never step foot in a hospital and we're living in a village with no running water. Absolutely. And these are women who are college-educated, yes. who have access, you know, insurance and access to... Um, world-class hospitals supposedly, but our infant mortality rate is three times that of white women. So I wanna back up and say, I wanna shout out the IPA um, network who invited me here because I just had a baby and I really appreciate having the publicist help me get back into what I love, right? When I was in the hospitals, I came in as the most healthy 37-year-old you would ever mm. meet, right? I am a clean eater. I, am, I do yoga every day. I take walks in the Arboretum. I have a relationship with nature. And I am rebuilding my health right now based on my experience with the medical field, right? Beth Israel was ready. I, like I said, people like to kick me out of places because I hold people super high account, high when it comes to accountability in terms of how we should be treated. And I always mm -hmm. use the term dignified. We deserve dignified experiences, right? So Boston is a unique place to be because we have lots of resources, like you just said, but access to those resources are, is really slim. It's really difficult and it's tricky. And that's something that uh, as I heal and as I become a mom and I'm in this new body and new identity, I'm really taking on and putting in my backpack of tools. Is that advocacy piece? Because we don't have enough people in spaces that look like us. So when things get funny, who's speaking up for you? And if you're ill, you're distressed and you're not thinking straight, right? And that's when they put the papers and legal papers. And that's when they get us. 
So mindfulness, I used, my first lesson with everybody is around the brain functionality and mindfulness, right? And we have these three major parts of our bodies, um, of our brains, and that's your amygdala, your limbic nerve, and then your prefrontal cortex, mm -hmm. right? So those three parts are very integral in our emotional experience. So I remember talking to the head of OGBYN and saying, I am not regulated, so I cannot answer your question. Mm. That's a skill that I have now. Before now explain that, because I know what that means, but our viewers and listeners not, may know what that means. So, perfect. Thank you for that. Slow me down. I get passionate. So, when I say I'm not regulated, that means that I have been through some form of trauma, and now my mind and my body are unable to process clearly or effectively communicate or effectively even um, perceive what's happening around me based on what I've been through. And trauma impacts the body, it impacts the mind, and it in impacts the spirit or the energy body. So if you're not regulated, you're really not processing from a present-minded or clear space. So you're not balanced. You're not balanced. Okay. And we want to seek, we want to attain balance as, men, as much as possible. Like you should look at life on a, on a pendulum, right? You never want to be too far to the left. You never want to be too far for the right. So every day my life is, my goal is to be in the center and to center myself and to figure out, am I, am I depleted, am I drained? If not, rest, um, electric foods, and uh, not having too much stimulation, maybe the TV or being out in the street where the, there are lots of um, carbon emissions, right? Like the cars do something to us, it's deep. And like, if we're not feeling balanced, it's not a personal thing as much as it's an intentional okay, thing. Okay, so hold, hold up for a second. Um, and this, this hour, is, I already know I'm going to have to have you back. No, 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 I already know I'm going to have to have you back. Thank because you. Um, in an environment where we're overstimulated yes. and we're programmed and we're constantly pushed, and, and I'm a teacher, I'm an educator, yeah. so I know that parents are pushing their kids to be yep. A's. You know, kids are being pushed and being bullied, right? The TV is telling you your breath stinks, your hair's not good enough, your nails not good enough, yep. this is not gonna buy, 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 buy. The consumerism, right? So you don't have what you need to be able to be the best you. Yep. And there's so many things there. And then, you know, the economy is forcing um, people to overwork from necessity. So, and, and so our bodies get used to this overdrive. And you said when you're being depleted, you're being drained. How do you know if you're so used to that's your normal? Yeah. Um, so th it's, that's a great question. It takes practice. It really does take a moment to uh, recognize and embrace stillness in our lives, which we don't do a great, we're not, it's not culturally appropriate for us to, to sit with ourselves and to be and to give yourself enough time to ask yourself what it is that you're feeling. So when, within my workshops, that's one of the first things we do is a personal check-in, right? And that looks like a body scan sometimes, like how do you, all the way down to your toes, are you holding tension anywhere? Because if you're holding tension, that's the implication of you like trying to keep yourself in place because you are in overdrive or you are drained. So I talk to people about how, um, each part of our body holds a different memory of stress, like a different memory of stress. So they say a lot of times, if you feel a lot of pressure or a lot of responsibility, it lives in your shoulders. Right. So you'll meet people who are either like this because they're um, or like this, or they're or they they're bracing up. themselves, or in our hips and in our which back. in yoga in our back, a lot of shame and guilt and fear live in in those areas of your so body. Hold up, right there. So one thing that people get used to saying, and they don't realize that that's 
a reflection of what you just said is you give me a pain in the neck. Yes. Or you're a pain in my back. Yeah, a pain <laughs> in my and it's literally my, yes. And it literally is. It's literally that. Thank you so much. That's such a great example to help like help people visualize what we're experiencing on a day-to-day -day basis. One of the things that I do, right? And I had to um so I carry some bubbles with me. Mm. Literally bubbles. Mm -hmm. And I've been known to um pull them out. Like if I'm feeling stressed, one of the things that people don't realize is your breathing starts to get shallow. Yes, absolutely. And you have to be able to breathe to blow bubbles. So I could be sitting at a table somewhere and I'll just put it out and all of a sudden I'm blowing bubbles. So people look at me like I'm nuts. No. That's beautiful. I'm trying to find a, a, a balance where I'm breathing. Yes. Because I've found that, um, you know, I was getting these pains in my shoulders and my back and my neck. Mm -hmm. And then for anybody that either massages people, has somebody massage you, you literally can feel knots like rocks Absolutely. in your neck. But if, you're, but, but if you're not doing that, then you don't know that there's something wrong. Absolutely. I mean, and that's why I said that, like, out this culture, the, the work that I do now, is, it, it's almost, it's unfortunately revolutionary in our communities. But it kind of isn't, because this is going back to what we it's already know. It's ancient practice. Can we can take a shot of what's on this table, B? Ancient. And you can explain what this is. The Absolutely. sound. And, and it's actually just a, you know, there's some rappers that are talking about how people are being programmed because the frequencies yes. that music is being recorded at now is designed to get you to be violent. Absolutely. Or to put you in a trance and make you super depressed. Absolutely. So I did a mindfulness and music course with uh, seventh and eighth graders in Brookline, and I brought these tools in, and it was a whole comp compare and contrast. I would play something super high energy, something with some violence in it, something transient, and then I would pull these tools out. So, you know, I have a really beautiful sound set. These are just like easy to, to carry around. But this chime here, like you said, these are ancient practices, yeah. right? What I do a lot of times- Can you make a noise with those and we can hear it? Absolutely. Right so. near your microphone, kind of. Not so, in it, but near it. What I do when I want to get my students' attention, mm -hmm. instead of raising my voice, this literally is how, an attention getter, is we literally just listen to the sounds with breath. So I would instruct the class to take a deep breath in as they hear the first sound and hold it and release it when the, they no longer hear the sound. And it just it invites a very unique opportunity for them to fully engage the sound, but also to take that deep breath. That Can you, you do were that again about. and we just hear the sound? Absolutely. That's deep. And then we have these as well, too the tuning forks, which. The tuning forks are also doctors. I've gone into doctor's offices and they yeah, have they tuning do, and forks. They do it to your ears and, and everything. It, and this helps with the equilibrium, equilibrium and your balance as well. And it's doing something to our audio equipment. Yes. So it's probably good that I didn't have the sound bowl palette in here. We might no, have had everything. You know. No, no, no. Hey. You know. It is what it is, right? I do have these sound bowls, my minis. Once again, I'm always in classrooms and these are easy and kids can't break them because the glass bowls they can. Um, and this is, a, this is just a small brass bowl. And then some practitioners actually take it and they go they around. They do. Yeah. So 
what's interesting is um but you see how that travels it, it travels through audio and the different frequencies that it travels at i've done sound work yes and had people do it with me and um there's a level of awareness. Well, actually, I've been in music all my life. Yes. So yes. if you understand different kinds of musical instruments and what that taps into. Absolutely. And there are animals that have, um, that generate sounds that we can't hear from the human ear. Absolutely. Dogs can hear certain things. Cats can hear certain things. That doesn't mean that your subconscious is not picking it up. It's just that you are not consciously hearing that it. That our senses are not calibrated to that dimensional experience. And what people don't understand, I see a lot of mothers and fathers, I'm just not going to crack on just the mothers, parents who are putting their children in front of... Tablets and screens, yes. When their kids are babies, and you're not, they're not allowing their kids to go outside to see the different gradations of nature yep. and the light. And so their eyes are getting programmed to something that's already manufactured. You're already programming your kid to not, or your child, or your baby, not to be able to differentiate and be able to develop what they need to develop as a human being and as a, as a person. Which is why we're seeing more young people develop anxiety and depression so early because they're not calibrated to real life interactions and frequencies. So everything on this is curated, including the, the lights and the level of the light and all those different things. So then when our child gets a real in-person experience, it's overwhelming to their nervous system once again because it goes back to all of that. Talk about that in regards to COVID, as yes. a teacher, mm -hmm. <clears throat> to have people not in the classroom, not, it's not even just in the classroom, but not being involved with other human beings and being in isolation. Mm -hmm. Anybody who's been in a prison or been in solitary, have been in a prison and been isolated from other people, knows what that does and impacts a human being in terms of just being human. Yes. But then we also had tens of thousands of students, really millions of students, yep. shut down, parents shut down. And so there were children that were born during the pandemic mm -hmm. who normally would be around other people or being around other children that were deprived of that for two or three years. And then you thrust them into school where they're supposedly, you know, okay, interact with all these other kids, all this other stimulus, all this other stuff. And then you have teenagers and, and pre, you know, adolescents who were at that age, they're supposed to be figuring out like, how do I interact with other human beings? And then they're isolated. I, I know the answer to this, but tell me how this work that you do in the schools and this sound work, this health and wellness can possibly help our young people, pull them off the ledge from them killing themselves and each other, because that's what's happening. Yeah, for sure. So uh, outside of the, like we talked about, the stuff that's unconscious around us, these sounds actually are very healing to our mind, to our bodies, to our brains, to our emotional bodies once again, right? Where your anger or your joy and all those things, these, these actually tap into that. I also think that the sound brings kids back to that pure, centered, like kids are very innocent. They don't, they don't come with as much confusion and convolution as adults do. So when you bring these tools in, it brings children back to the place they should be in, to which play. is just the play, the joy, the innocence, the curiosity. The curiosity is a big piece, especially in school. You want your kids to be curious all day so that when you put information in front of them for them to learn or retain, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. their brains actually do that. So I have a lot of implicit conversations with administrators and educators about the expectation for students to be able to retain information without making sure that, that they are fed, that they are 
they slept the night before, that they, because all these things attend, uh, uh, affect their attention. So when I come in with the, the sound tools, it gives them a break from whatever pressures, mm -hmm. whatever societal expectations that are completely in disalignment to what you talked about. If I was able to stay at home for, two, for a whole year, I don't have to get on the bus. I don't have to get fresh air. The, all the things that would wake me up or send my body the signals. Or you could do that in your job or whatever wasn't getting in the way of you doing Absolutely. that. Because that's what we saw. Um, I saw some people actually thrive during the pandemic because they weren't being bombarded with all this other stuff. And, and so now when, you know, the government and, and corporations are trying to force people to go back to work, they're like, nah, I was trying to get a four-day work week. You told me it couldn't be done, but that's what we're doing now. Anyway. And, and they can see how even their finances went a lot further because they, weren't, they didn't have to pay for lunch, they didn't have to pay for clothes, they didn't have to pay for transportation and, all the, and daycare and all this other stuff. And so they're like, well, wait a minute. And then they started, well, some people, it got worse because they were trying to get out of the house and get away from people that they live with and going to work and going to school. But then they had to, they were isolating with these people and they were issues, right? They still, they just got Domestic exacerbated. Domestic violence and a lot of things um, yeah. continued to um, spike during that time. Because people hadn't learned to be with each other and be with themselves. Absolutely. Because people were just like doing this busy, busy, busy work, thinking they were being productive. But you can be busy and not productive. Absolutely. And I'm like that's a, our culture is to be busy and not productive. Well, I don't think that's black culture. I think that's the United States capitalism. I, yes. I think that's that culture, right? Yep. And and so I had this I had this supervisor, Ugh. and she would creep around the corner and look and see what you were doing at your desk, right? And see how long it took you to pick up a phone and stuff like that. It was the weirdest thing. It was the weirdest thing, right? And I was just like. It's, such, it's such a slave master mentality in a way that people don't, it's, it's, a, it's disrespectful and it's a slave master mentality. So it's much like, work I need to get. Exactly. A mindset. Yeah. And it's what, and, and so thinking about how you're doing something to be productive as opposed to just busy, 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 and making you tired. And you don't really achieve what you meant to achieve because you're not thinking about it. As, a, as an educator and as a teacher, there's so much right now that is um, programmed to go in and tell kids, I'm going to tell you what you don't know. And then you come back and you tell me what I told you. And depending on whether or not you remembered it, you get an A. No, that's not critical thinking. That's nope. not thinking at all. And so, um, but because the, the pressure and because the curriculum, there's a lot of racist stuff, you know, people understand that even the very beginnings of and makings of education when it comes to public education was basically to make you a better educated slave so that That's white it. folks could take their kids on vacation. A summer vacation is not because, you know, you had to go um, and harvest the fields. That happens in the fall. So let's get that straight, yeah. right? You're usually planting and you're growing in the summertime. Mm -hmm. So that was about there was no air conditioning in the schoolrooms. White folks didn't want to have their, rich folks didn't want to have their kids in the classroom. So it's like, okay, let's take a break. It had nothing to do with the poor people that had to go there. And then when it comes to education, you know, that's a whole nother show about, you know, cutting out our tongues because we want to communicate, literally having laws forbidding us to, to, to read yep. or to become literate. That's another whole thing. But when you look at the, the plantation mentality and the slave mentality and the programmed mindset that human beings, um, the movie The Matrix comes to mind. Yep. You get plugged into it and you know it's fake, but it's, but it's more tolerable than the real stuff that's gonna make you healthy. Excuse me, I hear people say, you know, so there's food deserts 
and there's environmental racism when you're talking about black communities, black and brown communities in the city. And so some of the things, because we got like nine minutes left, if that, that people, you know, I want people to do is look around your neighborhood and see what kind of food they sell. Yeah. How much does it cost? And it's not food. That to be very clear, a lot of what How they're selling us is not food. What is in this? Um, when you're a mother, you just don't want your kids crying because they're hungry. Right. And if you can only afford Cheetos and all this cheap uh, sugar-laden cereal stuff, you're going to give that to your kid, not realizing it's all sugar. It's going to hype them up. There's no nutritional value. And then you wonder why 60% of Americans are obese. Right. You got your kids and everything sitting down, um, learning something, sitting down, watching TV, sitting down, watching cable. Not, I, if we had to, like I said, I'm old school. If we got called in the house, that was punishment. We want to be outside all the time, running around, doing this, yep. doing that, very, very active, yep. right? Now it's kids are sitting around, and you tell them, get out and go do something. Oh, I don't want to do that. And so they're being fed and being sedated. And these, these sound waves, these frequencies, are actually helping to do it, and people don't back. even realize that they're being dumbed down, and it's really killing them. Yeah. I would say that the sound frequency healing really heightened my level of intelligence for sure. My body intelligence and my ability to hear things fully and be present with things. What do you do with your baby? Because you have a baby now. Yes, yes. So she's been, the whole time I was pregnant, because as we know, they can hear the sounds. I played the sound bowls and I'd still play them for her. Now I have rain sticks that I play for her. Um, so I know what a rain stick is, but tell people what rain sticks are. So rain sticks are Native American tools. Well, and they, they, actually African, Afri but go ahead. Okay, well, yeah. I'm just saying. Okay. Credit what credit's due. Yes. So uh, they usually will have beads or beans in them, and they are uh, and basically, and they have holes at the end, and basically you just play, you, you swoosh them back and forth, and they simulate the sound of either rain or the ocean, and that also helps, ca helps calm the body down. It's interesting, but the body has is 80% water, like they say, right? So anytime we are around bodies of water, anytime we are simulating the sound of water, it automatically locks us back into that center, that calm, um, that, that natural space that humans are supposed to be in, which is peaceful and, and at ease. So that's why um, if you're at the ocean and you hear the ocean or if it's raining and you hear the it automatically calms down you might go to sleep that's some it's it's sending our brain and our senses a signal that it's okay to relax that it's a that you're meant to calm down that this is a part of the, the word homeostasis like you're back to that that natural space that the human body is supposed to be in from a sensory and organ space i want to loop really quickly back to the food not only is the food um shutting our kids down and putting them in a trance and making them basically not be able to function. It's also eating away at our organs, and it's mm. also taking away young people's ability to have the energy that they need. Like when they say eat live foods, it's because everything is vibrational. So if you eat something that's like basically made out of plastic, some of the food we're eating is very close to that, there's no life force in that. But if you took something from the ground or you took something from a tree, we know those things have life energy in them. And, and they have they, seeds in and them. And they have seeds in them. And, and, and we, are like our baby is a seed when you first have it, right? So it's all these really clear things that are simple that they take away from us and they put all these distractions or all these processed or man-made things in front of us for the intention of control. And, and giving you the illusion that what you're eating is healthy. So it's important, like, okay, so some of the things that people need to know is that if you buy something, it may look like it's healthy, yes. but if it doesn't have a seed in it, then it's been manufactured. Absolutely, and down to our So seedless watermelons. Yes. 
Okay. Yep. Then the other thing is that I remember we did this experiment in Northeastern. There was an apple that was left in the library and it looked healthy. You figure eat an apple a day, it keeps the doctor away, right? We left that apple up there and we wanted to see how long it would keep looking like an apple. Yep. It was months. Yeah. If you, anybody who eats organic food, like it doesn't last that long. It's expensive because you have produce, good produce goes bad quick. In a couple of days. Absolutely. Even with refrigeration. Absolutely. And so we think if we put it in the refrigerator, we put it in the freezer, it's going to keep its nutrients, but no, it loses that even then. So when you cook something or you freeze something, the nutrients automatically kind of deplete in any way. Or it changes or it changes the DNA of it or the makeup of it. So it's hard in the United States for us to really get a hand on what health and wellness looks like. Um, and I also just want to say that taking deep breaths is also really, really important for your health. Okay, but what people think of deep breaths, explain what a deep breath really is. So to me, a deep breath is really bringing attention and attention to your breath. So your breath always comes either in your nose or out your mouth, and there's a moment of pause in between. So every session I teach, whether it's yoga or mindfulness or a meditation class, I always ask people to breathe into the nose and count to three. So breathe in, one, two, three, hold, three, four, five, breathe out, six, but seven, But then eight. also when you're breathing, you're breathing into your diagram, not into just your chest up here. Absolutely. And up north, we're like running, we're walking fast, we're talking fast, and we're actually stifling and shortening our lifespans because we're not going all the way into our, our, the, our whole diaphragm to utilize that tool Girl. adequately. Okay, so let me tell you something. We didn't go all the way in to what we're talking about yes. right now, so yep. I got to bring you back. Yep. Um, but hopefully you went all the way into what we were talking about. Um, the reason why this show is called On Another Level is because that's what we're doing. We're trying to bring you to another level. <sighs> thank you. And thank you, IPA Network, once again, for having me come and sh spread the word about this stuff. It's so important. We got to bring you back. So if somebody want to get in contact with you, how do they do it? We got about a minute. So Niel's Mindfulness Services is my website. And you can just put my name into Google and it comes up. So thank spell God. it, though. So it's N-Y-E-L-L. -L, so N-Y-E-L-L. Mindfulness Services. If you put that in the Google Drive, you'll, all my stuff will come N-Y-E-L-L. -L, L, Mindfulness Services. services. Yes. N-Y-E-L-L. -L, -L, Mindfulness Services. So repetition. Yep. And we have to repeat this on another level at another time. Yes. And we have to bring the special, you know. I, I will bring the, the whole <laughs> big, I will bring more sound bowls next time so we can have an experience here for sure. The whole Absolutely. shebang. Thank yes. you so much, Queen. God bless you. God bless Thank you so much for being here with us this evening. Um, this program will be rerun and hopefully you will get a patent paper out and you'll check it out and you'll be engaged and you will look at the food that you're eating, read the instructions, take care of yourself and each other. God bless you. Salam alaikum. The march has begun every day. We rise like the sun. We fight till the battle is won. Can you hear the footsteps? Listen, cause we're coming like a gang on the street. So you better start running. It's time for some action now. Historical progression. Generations march in succession through 400 years. Hate, blood, sweat, and tears. And counting. The resistance is mounting. The preceding commentary does not necessarily reflect the views of the staff and management of WBCA or the Boston Neighborhood Network. If you would like to express another opinion, you can address your comments to the Boston Neighborhood Network at 3025 Washington Street, Boston, Mass., 
1-800-821-0219. Attention WBCALP 102.9 FM. If you would like to arrange a time for your own commentary, you can call WBCA at 617-708-3241 or email us at radio at bnntv.org.